you know, it's a very weird thing to sit down with someone that you don't even know and say, you know, for me to come in and sit down and say, hey, my name is Chris and I know we just met. Let me tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Resilient Self. We're here to talk about the human experience, mental health, wellness, relationships, and of course, how we bounce back when things don't go as planned. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Resilient Self, where today we're going to talk about the when, why, and how to get started in therapy. Now, as of this recording, it's a new year, and many of us are focused on personal development. I want to encourage you. Of course, it's really tempting. Everyone thinks they want to get that beach body going uh, at this time of year so that you're ready when the weather turns warm. But don't sleep on the emotional and relational well-being in your life. Now, when do people start therapy? Because sometimes there can actually be confusion about this. When is the appropriate time to pick up the phone and call? Well, obviously, a lot of times people call when things are blowing up. Big changes are happening in their lives. They've had a big loss or they're just some kind of a, a big something going on that feels like they want someone to, to help them manage it. And so that's a great time to pick up the phone and call, but those are not the only times. So often in life, we get to those what I call the WTF moment. There are times in your life when you just kind of get a new perspective on things and you go, what the F? Who does that? Why have I accepted this? How did I get here? Whatever that looks like for you. And, and that can often be a really powerful time to get started in therapy because you realize, oh, Houston, we have a problem. And I have realized that I have been accepting something or doing something that is unacceptable. And I want to make a change. And I want someone who is an expert in human relations to help me figure that out. Uh, of course, couples often call when they are in crisis, when the amount of conflict or things happen that just seems too overwhelming to manage themselves and they want to sustain that relationship. Or uh, sometimes um, partners will uh, agree on a certain path for a relationship and they just want someone to help them figure out what that looks like. Now, are there other times you could start therapy? Of course, there are lots of ways that a therapist could help you. Maybe you're preparing for a change. Maybe you know you're about to change jobs or change living situations. A lot of couples will do premarital counseling if they're getting married. Sometimes people will do individual counseling when they're getting married or starting a new relationship simply because they want to be the best that they can be for their partner. Sometimes you just feel like you're in a rut. You feel like you're having the same day every day or the same week every week or just having the same arguments and the same frustrations over and over again. And you just, you want to be better. You want, you want things to go better and you feel like you might have a role in that. Maybe you're in a relationship that's fully functional and you feel good about it. There's nothing wrong, but you just want to deepen that relationship to deepen that bond, uh, maybe enhance parts of that relationship in ways that kind of sustain you into the next uh, next stage. I think one of the really interesting ways that people will also find therapy is when they sense that they are entering a new developmental stage in life. When someone is transitioning into adulthood or going into middle age or sometimes entering menopause, those, those experiences, when we have an awareness that the world is changing around us, but we are changing into that world, we are entering a new phase of our lives, that can be a really, really powerful time 
to start therapy. So when should you start therapy? Well, I think it's a personal choice. I think anytime you want to improve, you want to build your own empathy and compassion because those are skills that can be improved upon. Or maybe you just want to manage stress better. Maybe you're dealing with loss or some other kind of change that you want to navigate. I find a lot of interest in treating uh, performance anxiety. If you are a business exec or an athlete or a performer of some sort and you have anxiety that is specifically related to performance issues in your job or your activity, it doesn't have to be your career. Maybe Maybe you're an amateur musician that just gets really nervous when you're going on stage or you feel like anxiety affects your performance. You can absolutely seek help for that. And there are people who have focus areas in those areas. Um, also, sometimes uh, we'll, we'll get to stages of life where we know there's been trauma. We know there have been bad experiences or traumatic things that have happened to us. And sometimes people try to process those things immediately. But sometimes folks want to keep that on the back burner and they say, yeah, I want to deal with that, but I, w- I want to find the right time. I want to I want to get some other things in my life squared away before I dive in on that. Of course, there are the kinds of traumas that are event-focused But there's another kind of trauma. Sometimes we reach points in our lives when we realize that family of origin, for all of the good feelings we may or hopefully have about our family of origin, we we find ways that we didn't get what we needed from them. We find that the relational patterns we developed or the attachment styles we developed with our family of origin, with with our parents and such, just did not prepare us for the adult life that we want to have. And we want to work through that somehow. And that can be very, very powerful work. And it's work that if you feel like it's time, then you could definitely contact a therapist for. And uh, if it's someone who focuses on attachment or developmental trauma, they can, can often provide you a lot of really, really important things. Now, on all the things we talk about in the show, there's lots of support material that you'll find on our website, theresilientself.com. Don't forget the the at the beginning of that, theresilientself.com. We'll have links to our social. We have articles that don't appear in the podcast, just related content that you won't necessarily hear here on the show. And then there's also a book recommendation section. So if you hear me talk about a book, the odds are very high. Um, almost 100%, that you will find that book on our website with a link to a way you can order that for yourself. And hopefully you have us bookmarked, theresilientself.com, and you can then go to the books page and grab your own copy of the awesome book that uh, I have recommended to you. Let's say you're at a place that you, you want to get started with therapy. You feel like it's time. You're just ready to make the call. i got to be honest, especially in this day and age, finding and choosing a therapist can just be overwhelming. Uh, so many therapists are full, and uh, even among those who have availability, it can be hard to choose because you don't you don't really know what to do. If you're not well-versed in the therapeutic world, there's a lot of confusing terminology, and you just don't even know uh, if you're doing the right thing. So here's some things that you may want to consider as you're choosing someone to consider to be your therapist. Now, I think the first person, first thing you need to decide is, are you going to do in-person or remote? I know some therapists have gone all remote. Research shows us that that uh, remote therapy can be very effective, and I know a lot of people like it, and it, it makes therapy available, especially to people in remote areas. It can make therapy, good quality therapy, available to people that 
didn't otherwise have access. So you got to figure out in-person or remote. Some people will have preferences for the age, the sex, the race of their therapist, or maybe specific alignments or understandings like LGBTQ+, military, religious affiliations, and that kind of thing. And so you may want to just give some thought to, is, is there some kind of understanding or perspective that I really need my therapist to have so that they can help me? I will say that in terms of age, there are some really terrific early career therapists out there. I mean, you you could be in your mid to late 20s and get licensed as a therapist because you, you need a master's degree for a lot of licenses. And uh, so you could theoretically find someone in their mid 20s. Now, if you feel like that person can understand you and can work well with you, then, then uh, you know, that can be perfectly fine. So age is not the only determinant, uh, although I think experience does matter. And so you may want to just give some thought to, does the age or experience level of the person that I'm working with uh, matter? Also, does the training of this person matter? I think training matters. I think the, the people who have engaged and continue to engage in development activities as a therapist, most licenses require it anyway, but I think people who are especially motivated in that are the people who are always going to be um, highly motivated to, to be there for you. You may want to give some thought to the nature of your presenting concern. You may be fine with someone who's a little younger and you just want someone to talk to, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, if you've got something a little heavier going on and you, you want someone with more experience or maybe more advanced training, then that's something to, to consider as well. A psychologist is someone with a doctorate in psychology uh, a lot of other licenses, like an LPC, a licensed professional counselor, which is my license, um, an LCSW is a social worker, or an LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist, those are all master's level licenses. I am not of the opinion that having a PhD or the equivalent PsyD necessarily makes you a better therapist. Uh, you do different things to get those degrees, and particularly a PhD, there's a heavy research component. And if that research component applies to the therapy that you're getting, then yeah, maybe it can help you out. But just because someone is a master's level therapist does not mean they're, they're not terrific. In fact, some of the most highly educated, well-informed, and effective therapists that I've ever met are master's level people. So don't be dissuaded by that. If you find someone who's a psychologist with a PhD or a PsyD, that's terrific. You've got to just decide how that fits for you. Now, one of the things that we're going to have to figure out when we're starting therapy is what's our pay source? Uh, the, the two big ones are typically uh, insurance or private pay. In the past couple years, and I think with uh, the, the uh, I think Obamacare changed some of the rules there. And so insurance is paying more on that, but it can still be tricky. So you definitely want to check out with your insurance company and see what they will pay for. Uh, sometimes they'll pay for one kind of therapy, but not another. Or they'll, you know, or they'll pay more for family or more for individual. It just depends. And so you definitely want to talk to your insurance company. That's one of the things your therapist is going to know. want to know is who's paying for this. Is it, is it your insurance or are you paying out of pocket? One of the reasons that I'm a fan of private pay therapy is that it doesn't leave it to another company. It doesn't leave it to a bunch of bureaucrats to decide when you're done because insurance companies can often say, okay, well, we're going to authorize 10 sessions. And then after those 10, the therapist has to disclose a bunch of stuff to us about you to 
convince us that you need to be able to keep going. And, you know, that's part of what you sign on for when you, you use insurance. And, of course, when you when you use your insurance, then your treatment records are um, also d- typically disclosed to the insurance company uh, or can be. Uh, it's one of the things that, that frequently you, you, you have to consent to, at least at some degree. They will see your diagnosis code because they require it. And so, or at least in my experience. Now, if you know a circumstance where that's not the case, do not take this as legal advice. It, that's, that's just been my experience. So some people may have health insurance, but they don't really want their mental health diagnosis entered into the, the, uh, the insurance records. Uh, and so they may choose to do private pay just simply because they'd like another layer of insulation there. You can certainly avail yourself of the services of a therapist through a private pay if they accept that. Um, and if it's on an insurance basis, then you'll want to make sure that the therapist actually is paneled with the insurance company that you are um, wanting to, to bill for. You may want to determine whether they have any kind of a specialty like anxiety or trauma, sports psychology, or maybe someone who focuses on family and couples. Now, you may be asking, Chris, how do I figure this out? Uh, Well, we'll talk about that, so stick around. You may be interested in uh, the theoretical orientation. What are those therapists' uh, beliefs coming into the therapy process? Now, this gets very convoluted. I'm not going to go into this extensively right now, but do be on the lookout for other shows and articles on the website about this. Because this is important information, and it matters to a lot of people. And I think it's important to find a therapist who works in the way that you feel like is going to help you. You hear a lot of talk about cognitive behavioral therapy these days, and a lot of people do some really great CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. But there are lots of other approaches as well, and sometimes you just have to kind of do a little reading to see what you think is a good fit. Now, how do you find someone? A lot of people will call their insurance company, and most most insurance companies will maintain a list of people who are paneled with them and have certain specialties. And so if you need an orthopedist, then you go to your insurance company website. You can also do that with mental health, and, and they will typically, depending on the company, have some kind of a list that says who is paneled with them. How often they update that list, uh, you never know. It just depends on the company. So sometimes, uh, I mean, I know I've, I've had experiences in, in other circumstances where I've, I've gone down my insurance company's list and uh, I've called you know, several doctors and they said, yeah, we don't take that anymore. Go away. And so that can be really frustrating. You can spend all day on the phone uh, and get nothing to show for it. I think there's, there's another way. Uh, there's a website at psychologytoday.com. We'll link this in the show notes. And at psychologytoday.com, by the way, I'm not connected to them in any kind of a business, so I don't get anything if you go there. I just, I think it's a good resource. And uh, the reason is, I think Psychology Today has a really robust search engine. Now, therapists will set up profiles on there, and they'll talk about their work. They'll they'll check, how do I work? What insurances do I take? And so it's a very robust search engine. And so if you need an anxiety therapist who takes Blue Cross Blue Shield and has availability, then, and you want an adult female therapist who practices psychodynamic therapy, you can search for all those things in the Psychology Today website, and they can just take, you know, the however many therapists in your basic search down to, you know, hopefully a manageable number that then you can figure out. You can sort for your preferences, and and then you can try to generate a list 
of, of people who look like they might be good fits for you that you might want to then reach out to and see if they have availability. And a lot of times therapists will maintain their profile, but they'll put a lot of times the first sentence, yes, I'm taking clients or no, I'm not. So sometimes it can save you a lot of time if you just go in and read their profile and see what they have to say. Now, one of the things they have on there is a list of conditions they treat and theoretical orientations. Like I said, there's psychodynamic, there's cognitive behavioral, there's mindfulness-based, there's Christian therapy, there's there's all kinds. Uh, and so when a therapist sets up their profile, they kind of check the way they work. Now, this is a personal bias of mine, and so you can take it for what it's worth. I always raise an eyebrow when I see therapists who put on there that they do 27 different kinds of therapy from a theoretical approach. Now, if someone has a bunch of stuff checked, is that a reason not to call them? I can't tell you that. But I, I think what I would encourage someone to do is ask a few more questions. You know, hey, I see that you you do work in cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's what I'm looking for. Can you tell me a little bit more about your specific training in this? What's your approach? How is this How is this meaningful to you? And why is this something that you feel like you have the expertise to, to work with me on? Therapists are used to those questions. And, and I would say that if a therapist um, gets a little snippy for your asking, then that that tells you something about them, and then you can decide if that's a good fit for you or not. So what I recommend people do is they find a couple, you know, find the top two or three or four or whatever that uh, look good, and then most therapists I know will offer a free phone consultation prior to starting therapy. In fact, I require it because uh, I really want to make sure that what the person's bringing and what I bring are a good fit. And a lot of therapists will require this. And so be prepared to have a few phone conversations with therapists and be ready to briefly describe your presenting problem in a couple sentences. Remember, this is not a therapy session yet. So you just want to kind of tell them basically what's going on. And then you can also ask questions of them and, and get a feel for them. Do you like the way they talk to you? Do you like the way they answer their questions? Do you feel at ease? And if through that process you, you find someone that you feel good about and they have availability and you can talk about scheduling, then you move forward from there. Once you decide who you're going to work with, there's typically an intake process. There's paperwork, there's policies, there's a lot of questionnaires. Some of us, including myself, will do some of that work online. So, uh, you know, you'll send out a link and they'll go into a HIPAA compliant server and you'll fill out a bunch of that stuff. So it does often save you time at the intake session. Uh, but some therapists still get all of that information at the first meeting. But realize that with a lot of therapists, the intake, the first session, uh, which by the way, usually costs a little more because the therapist has more work to do on the back end. And that's typically not a standard therapy session. So the, so when you go in for your first session, be aware you may or may not have the opportunity to just dive headfirst into your situation at that point. And some therapists will do their intake a little more organically, and they'll just kind of start talking and get what they need throughout the course. And so for some therapists, it may feel a little more like just a regular conversation. But then your follow-up sessions, you, you and the therapist will agree on a regularity for your sessions. Uh, uh, a lot of folks will do weekly, and you just kind of see the person every week, you go back in and you can then uh, talk about what you want to talk about. You know, it's a very weird thing to sit down with someone that you don't even know and say, you know, for me to come in and sit down and say, hey, my name is Chris and I know we just met. Let me tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, it's just, it's a very weird process until you get used to it. 
I would say in general, give it a couple sessions. And then if you feel uncomfortable, be willing to discuss with that therapist what those are, if there's something uncomfortable or unacceptable. And uh, if things just aren't working, you can always find someone new. But just a reminder, you, you can't see multiple therapists at once about the same thing in most places that I know of anyway. I know that here, one of the things we want to make sure of is, that, hey, are you seeing anyone else? All right, well, if you're seeing someone else, you either need to see me or see them. So someone who doesn't know anything about it may say, well, I'm going to do a couple sessions with a couple people and then pick from there. In my experience, it doesn't really work that way. Now, again, in your jurisdiction, it may be different, but you want to you want to find that out. And when in doubt, ask your therapist about that. I would say just give, give it a chance, though. And if after a couple sessions it doesn't feel right, then maybe the therapist can make an adjustment and you can talk about that. Uh, or maybe at that point you, you want to try to uh, try another option. So to finish up here, if you're thinking about starting therapy, it can be a wonderful, wonderful process. Just remember, going to therapy doesn't mean that you or your relationship are broken. It means that you want to be better. And so uh, just don't forget that. There, fortunately, a lot of the stigma in mental health has gone away. I just want to encourage you to live into that opportunity for yourself, and hopefully you can use work with a therapist to get where you want to be. Thanks so much. If you have thoughts or ideas for me or questions about this process, please don't hesitate to reach out. You've got all kinds of opportunities you can find on theresilientself.com. We have links to social. Uh, we've got other ways to meet us. Uh, and also, don't forget, there are lots of other cool things on that website. There's book reviews and links. There are other articles that we don't talk about in the podcast. And of course, we've got show archives. So you can get your binge on uh, if you want to check out other episodes that you have not had a chance to listen to yet. Last thing, a quick shout out to my good friend, Ted Hammond. Uh, if you noticed the really cool intro and outro music for the show, uh, that was composed and produced by a gentleman named Ted Hammond. Ted is a musician who has just decades and decades of professional experience. I'm also blessed to call him a good friend. So Teddy, thank you, brother. I, I love you. And I am grateful for your willingness to share your gift with us here at the show. And uh, so thanks for being here with me this week. And I hope you found something useful. And until next time, I'll see you then on The Resilient Self. The Resilient Self is a production of Insight Media, LLC. The information presented on the show and at theresilientself.com is intended to educate and entertain and should not be considered as legal, medical, or psychological advice or as therapy of any kind. The information presented should not be used to diagnose or treat any psychological, psychiatric, or medical condition. While we make every effort to present accurate and insightful information, the host, guests, and Insight Media LLC make no warranty that the information presented here will be applicable in your situation or location. Opinions expressed in the show do not represent those of Insight Media LLC, their ownership, or employees. 